Well, um, we are excited to continue in Ecclesiastes. Uh, ben, or buenos dias y bienvenidos a, a la Iglesias Sunrise. Mi amo Pastor Greg. Estamos muy agradecidos de que esté aquí. Um, before we get started, I want to dismiss our kids from children in worship. Uh, that's for ages three years old up to fifth grade, so they can go hear God in their way, in their language, in their way of thinking and knowing. And they are, I have some awesome volunteers. We also have our nursery back there for uh, zero to three years old uh, there for you as well. And then we do have the, the quiet room back there as well for moms who uh, just need a moment to help their kid calm down a little bit. The, I believe it's uh, also live streaming in that room, so you don't miss anything in there. Um, as the kids venture out, I want to let you guys know about a couple cool things coming our way. Um, uh, a couple announcements. Uh, the first is our foundations class is starting up in uh, a couple weeks. That's October 15th at 6 p.m. It'll happen right here. Uh, it's uh, Sunday nights. Um, it'll be in the back room back there. Unless you guys really blow it up, then you'll take over the sanctuary. Um, but it's just a great time of diving deeper into God's Word. And um, I'm just going to look up real fast what the topic is. It's Christ and the Atonement, I believe, is the subject. And so you'll have about six weeks of just diving deeper and what is that? How does that affect our lives? And how do, can we think more theologically when it comes to uh, who Christ is? What was his atonement all about? And, and those things. So uh, there will be child care. Uh, so if you've got little ones and you need that, uh, that you, you can take advantage of that. And um, so, yeah, mark that in your calendars. Uh, the next thing is, uh, I guess there's a women's craft night uh, coming up here soon. Um, there's the details. the Tuesday night, October 17th. Um, at 6.30. Uh, there's a sign-up, I know, on your way out the door. You can sign your name so they can make sure they have enough supplies for that. And I got to tell you, that's about all I know about it because I'm not invited. So um, sign up if the, you want to go to that. Sounds like it'd be fun. <laughs> Unless you're like me, I am not crafty. So I would just mess up anything that you got. So, But we are going to be in Ecclesiastes 7 today. And I got to tell you, this book has been fun as... Uh, Jason was saying, Elder Jason was saying earlier, it's been a challenging book. It's been an interesting book. Um, it's one of the books of wisdom in the Old Testament, but in a sense, it's a different book, as he was saying. It's a different book. When you read it, it hits you in a different way. And actually, um, Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller, um, he was doing a, a sermon on Ecclesiastes, and he makes this comment. He says, Ecclesiastes is unique in that it is not... Uh, pedagogy, it is androgogy. I was like, well, that's fancy words there. Um, but if you really break that down, what he's saying is pedagogy is when you talk to pedo. It's, it's a child. It's when you instruct a child. And, and you read Proverbs, and it's very much that way. It's just instruction. It's just, hey, here's what you need to do. And it's repetitive. Just like any time you walk into a kid's classroom, they're singing songs. It's routine. It's, it's here's what we're doing. Here's the math. Just get it into your system. And now practice it. Do it. It's about, and that's adult teaching children, in a sense, kind of way of learning. Andragogy is, uh, is more adult-to-adult style of learning. 
It's more collegiate in that sense. It's, it's like a, a professor talking to his students, his adult students, and giving them instructions and, and more so prodding at them to try to gain wisdom in that sense, to, to think differently, to ask questions of themselves. Uh, these are people who are in charge of themselves. They've lived a little bit of their life, and now it's kind of taking account. Why do you do certain things? And so if you have been reading Ecclesiastes and feeling like, man, I don't know what to do with this book. It's challenging. It's hard. Well, I want to just let you know that's good. That's kind of the design of this book. That's how God inspired it to be written, is that this was supposed to be a book that challenged our thinkings, challenged our way of living our life, and said, why do you do this? Where are you really living for? What are you really living for? And so that's kind of the design, the way God had instructed this book. And, and really, like, a lot of times in our life, we don't like when people do that, right? We don't like when someone questions us or asks us to take account of why we do certain things. And especially us Americans, uh, we don't like when someone pokes us a little bit, right, and says, why do you do this? Uh, maybe you have family members that do that, and so you think of uh, the holidays coming up, and you're thinking, oh, uncle so-and-so is going to be there, or aunt so-and-so is going to be there, and they're going to ask me to justify why I do this, or, or maybe it's your parents, and they're going to ask why you're raising your kids a certain way, or, or whatever it is. There's, there's always sometimes that family member in our, our lives, or maybe it's a friend who uh, just asks you prodding questions and makes us uncomfortable makes us not feel like we want to be around them. But sometimes, in the right context, in the right relationship, those conversations can be life-altering. They can change our entire lives when someone asks us a question that we know loves us and cares about us, and we're willing to hear it, that we can say, you know what, I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know why I'm making these choices. And you're right, maybe I need to rethink about this. And so I think Ecclesiastes, that's where the wisdom aspect comes from. It's, it's a safe place where God is poking us and saying, what are you living for? What are you doing? And so it's a challenging book, but it's a good book. It's a book of wisdom. It, it, it uh, doesn't just tell you what to do, but it asks you to really evaluate your life. And so as we get into chapter 7, we're going to see uh, that uh, there's going to be a long uh, or like a lot of different subjects that chapter 7 hits on. Uh, I read chapter 7 and I was like, oh my goodness, what are we going to talk about on Sunday? Uh, I just kind of categorized them and I came up with seven different topics that we could hit on just with chapter 7. And I was like, okay, well, um, we'll see where God takes this. But uh, I think God has something amazing for us uh, today, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. So we're just going to start at verse 1 and go to uh, verse 4. And this is what it says. It says, A good name is better than uh, fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny for everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fools is in the house of pleasure. So what in the world is Ecclesiastes talking about? 
you read that and you're thinking, man, was this what wisdom is all about? Is this where we have to find wisdom? Is it only in the mourning, the death, the frustration, the sadness, the hard rebukes from people around us? Is this the only place that we can find wisdom? Is this what it takes to, is this what God wants for us as Christians? Que esta diciendo aquí el autor? Uh, so we're looking at this and we're trying to understand what in the world is the past or what is, uh, what is the author trying to say to us. And, and to understand that, we kind of have to look at what Pastor Rush shared with us last week. And so we're going to turn to Ecclesiastes 6.12 and just kind of look at what is the author trying to get out here. And this is what that says from Pastor Rush's uh, uh, sermon last week. It says, for who knows what is good for a person in life? During the few and meaningless days, they pass through like a shadow. And so that's the end of chapter 6. And now kind of what we're getting at, these four verses and continue on, is kind of the author's explanation of what is good. What is good for a person in their life? And so that's why he starts off and says, hey, a good name is worth more than a fine perfume. And what he's saying is to have a good life. I mean, think about that for a moment. To have a good name, more so, you must hold to a certain standard, right? You have to have a certain quality of work, of ethics, of, uh, of value to your name, that when you say something, it means something. And it's not empty promises. And so it takes sacrifice to have that. It takes hard work. It takes meaning what you say. In Ecclesiastes uh, 7 points out that uh, the Ecclesiastes 7 points out that uh, this can be an easy thing to lose. Extortion, it says, turns a wise person into a fool and a bribe corrupts the heart. So kind of the warning here for us is that not to take the quick way out in life, not just to go for the easy gain, but to, to instead go for the good name, hold to a quality. Hold for something that's going to last your lifetime, not try to just jump on fast money. El autor hablo, hablo de lo que es bueno para toda nuestra vida. The author is going to make this one big statement throughout the whole chapter. The day of death is better than the day of birth. In other words, how we end in our life matters so much more than how we begin, which praise God, right? How we end matters so much more than how we begin. And that's such great news for some of us who have come from bad situations. You know, maybe uh, when you uh, came into this world as a child, you were a, a child of divorce, or maybe a parent had died. Or maybe um, one of them had passed, yeah, one of them passed away, or they were far from God. Your parents were far from God. Or maybe you grew up in poverty. Or maybe you have a family history that is not something that you would like to pass on to your kids. Instead, you would like to break some of those generational sins that have been passed down to you, and you would not like them to stop here. Whatever it is, whatever that beginning it was, it, it was difficult. It's hard. Wherever you started is probably a hard situation, but God wants to encourage you. Ecclesiastes is saying to us, it's not about where you started. It's about where you end. It's about where you're going. 
Stop letting the past define you. Yes, those are hard situations, but now choose God. Choose to follow him, and he will build a better life for you. Stop talking about the past. Start moving forward. And I think so many times, especially in our current culture, we get stuck in the past. Well, I can't do this. Well, the system's against me. And we have all these slews of, of reasons why we can't progress in life. And yet Ecclesiastes is saying, it's not about where you started. It's about where you're going. And it's going to be something that gets echoed all throughout this chapter. The reason Ecclesiastes is highlighting these normally sad moments in our lives is that these moments, whether that's death or that's mourning or whatever it is, the struggles of life, so often these moments are the moments that cause contemplation in our life. It causes us to stop and reevaluate what we're doing. To not just settle and say, well, I'm just going to keep doing this because it works. But you have many times those are the moments that we stop and we say, well, where am I going? Funerals are one of those moments. And uh, I got to to, uh, help uh, people through those a few times. And those are great moments to just minister to people and say, where are you going? What are you doing with your life? We're limited in our time here on earth. We only have so many days. We don't know the number of days we each have. Each one is a blessing. So what are you doing with that blessing? Ecclesiastes is pointing out that in those hard times, too, God is with you. And we can see that with Matthew 5 when Jesus is starting his Sermon on the Mount. He actually first starts off with, blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. He doesn't say, oh, well, you'll just be healed, you'll get over it. He says, God will be there with you. He promises us more of him in the hardships of life. And whether that's mourning or that's just the frustrations of not progressing how life, what you hoped life would go, God will be present with you. But those moments, they're uncomfortable. We don't like them. But for change to happen, a lot of times we have to exist there. I like how Dave Ramsey puts it. Uh, He's a finance guy, Christian finance guy. And he says, you know, if you want to change your habits in your life, then you got to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. You just got to be like, I don't want to be here again. And I'm ready for change. And if you seek God in that moment, then you'll find a new way to live your life for God. These are natural moments where God can intervene and get your attention in a sense. Now, I want to be careful here because you could be taking this and saying, okay, so the good times are good for you. So are you saying just tough it out? Like rub some dirt on it. Get over it, right? No, not really. Those hard times are still hard. They're tough. They're not something that we really want to seek out. But yet what, we're, what the promise is in that is that when we go through those hard times, God is present in those with us. That we're not left alone on our own to just try to figure it out, our way back to God. But instead, God comes to us in our hard situations and gives us the ability to get through it. That's why I think it's so amazing. Again, if we turn to Matthew 5, when, when, when Jesus is, is going to uh, share his message, he talks for several chapters. Uh, the Transform group, our junior high group, is actually studying this sermon every Wednesday night. But what he says is he says, those who are blessed, he starts off, are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger for righteous, righteousness. 
These are the blessed people. What are they blessed with? More of God. More of him and his presence to to get them through it, to give them the ability to endure it, but also what they need in that moment. The power, the, the ability to see beyond just the hurts of that moment right there. The blessings are those for those who cry out for God for help because Jesus has come to be present with them. In our darkest times of life, Jesus is with us there. And what I think is so amazing is, is when you walk through those hard times, you start to understand Romans 8.28 in such a real way, which says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. To say, I don't know what the future looks like. I don't know how we're going to get to the other side. I don't have the perfect solution. And, and maybe the miracle that you've been praying for isn't coming. And you want it and you're crying out, God, would you just do this? Would you help me get the job? Would you help the sickness to go away? Would you help the marriage? Would you help whatever? Would you help my child just come back to church? All these things, God, they all seem like they would benefit my life greatly. And would be according to the things that you want. God, maybe. And yet God says, I will give you more of me and you will get through it. And I will work all those hardships for my glory and you will be a part of my glory. And that is the greatest thing he can promise us is at the end of the struggle, you will have victory over it, not because of yourself, but because of God, because of Jesus working in your life. In los momentos difíciles de la vida, Dios está centra. Verse 8 says, the end of the matter is better than its beginning, and practice is better than pride. The end is what matters. So when you live your life, your day-to-day decisions Are you living for the end or are you living just for the right now? Because when we get stuck in just the survive today mentality, we lose out on having intentionality on what our end will look like. Stop focusing on just right now, but start looking to what God's calling you to do. What what legacy are you leaving for your kids, for yourself, and how can you bless those around you? Can you live with the end in mind? Uh, we're going to be reading now verses 11 through 18. And this is what it says. It says, wisdom is an inheritance, is a good thing, and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Consider what God has done. Who, has, who can straighten what has been made crooked When times are good, be happy, but when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perish in the uh, their righteousness, and the wicked live, are living long in their wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over wicked and do not be a fool. 
Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. So I want to kind of address these verses here, these nine verses here, but in reverse order. Because I don't know about you, but when I read these, this section of scripture, I was like, what in the world is it talking about? Do not be over-righteous. Uh, uh, do not be over-wise. Do not be over-wicked. Do not be a fool. Like, so wait, what? Be mid? Like, just be middle of the road, average Joe, nothing special. Just blah, right? Is that what the Bible's telling us to be with our life? Well, we kind of then have to compare that to something else that it says in the Bible. If we go to Revelation 3, 15, 16, there's a church there that's kind of living in that middle-of-the-road lifestyle. And uh, God has some words for them uh, that is not something that we want to hear at the end. But uh, this is what it says, uh, verses 15 and 16. It says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or one or the other, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Yikes. Sounds like God's not really happy with this church that's just playing it safe, being middle of the road, uh, not doing much with their life or with their uh, giftings. Uh, They're kind of just being indifferent in a sense. They're just like, whatever happens, happens. And so they're not progressing in life. And Ecclesiastes then cannot be saying, just live an average Joe life. Don't be too good, but don't be too bad. Because that would be a conflict of Scripture. And so what is Ecclesiastes getting at? Well, I think verse 18 kind of highlights the main point of those, those statements. It says, whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. The commentaries have different views on this, but kind of the primary thing that it's getting at in Ecclesiastes is that uh, we should not be living in those extremes in life. To be overly righteous, if we to just take that one for a moment, over-righteous, what does that mean? Self-righteous. If you think of yourself as someone who is just better than everyone else around you, like you look around and you think, you know, I don't want to say it, but yeah, I kind of feel like I'm better than you. Um, no. That's what Ecclesiastes is specifically saying. Don't be that way. Don't think of yourself as better than other people. You're not. You're not better than other people. In fact, that was the issue at the time of Jesus' day and age is is there was all these religious leaders who thought themselves as more righteous than Jesus. Even though when he asked them, can any of you prove that I have sinned, they all stayed quiet. They couldn't figure out one thing to say with them. And so yet they probably could have thought of a bunch of things to say about themselves, but they thought themselves still more righteous than God himself. That is being overly righteous. They also many times try to trip up Jesus with fancy questions of their day and tried to, to be overly wise. And Jesus, again, made them look like fools. Nor be overly wicked or a fool. Because as said over and over in Proverbs and many other places in the Bible, those will lead you only to death and destruction. Verse 20 says, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sinned. 
Ecclesiastes is not saying live a mediocre life, but to live a life following God. Because when we follow God, and by the work of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, it transforms our thinking, it transforms our motivations, and it transforms our actions in our life. And it redeems all of those things to be one who can live for God in a brand new way. You know, it's interesting, when I, when I first came to God uh, a good amount of years ago now, um, I used to think, you know, I, I know I'm messed up. I know I have screwed up many times in my life, and I was in a place that I desperately needed God to forgive me of many things that I had done wrong. But, you know, when I thought about the gap between God's holiness and myself, I thought, you know, that's probably like a football length, you know, field, right? Like about that length. Like there's no way I could get there, but I could maybe see, you know, see the other side. I could see maybe what Jesus was wearing or whatever, right? Like I could, I could maybe see the other side. And that was kind of my view, like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm about that far away from God. And so through uh, many years now of following God and, and uh, going to seminary and becoming a pastor and, and following God with my whole life and making him the center of it, uh, you would think that I feel like I'm that much closer, right? Maybe I'm at the 20-yard. The I'm still my side because I'm humble. But, you know, you know, maybe I'm about that closer to God than when I started. But I think the more I've gotten to know about God, the more I've studied, the more I've researched, the more I've just lived life with him, the more I've started to understand that truly the distance between me and God is not a football field. It's more like me and the moon, right? The, 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 it is so much more than I even ever imagined how great of a person he is, how what holiness really is, how bad my sins go deep, how much of a wicked person I am without him. And that would be, uh, I, that's a Google number, just so you know, I didn't have that on the top of my head, to, to 238,855 miles away. That's about that distance away. That's about nine and a half times around the earth. So not a football field, um, you know. And, and that was more the view now closer I get to God, the more I'm just amazed that he has ever taken the time to know my name, that he calls me to follow him, that he has forgiven my sins, that he, in his holiness, in his amazing godhood, would adopt me, a sinner, into his family. That is amazing. I love what it says here in verses 13 and 14. It says, Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what has been made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. I love that. Consider what God has done. Chew on it. Think about it. What has God done? Now, I think about this and I think about the fact that, you know, God has been working this plan of redemption in our life for a long time. Starts in Genesis 3 when we mess things up and, and, and humanity dives deep into sin. We don't dabble, we go full-blown. The, the kids of Adam and Eve, their first uh, time uh, really interacting with God or it's about their second time, third time, I don't know, but death comes up. One brother kills the other brother. It's like, man, they didn't take any time to like just slowly re-enter sin. No, they just 
plummeted right in. And that seems to be the theme throughout those next couple chapters as humanity goes deeper and deeper and deeper into depravity, into sin, into a bad spot where they don't want anything to do with God. So much so that God almost basically has to restart over with humanity because there's so much wickedness. It says our thoughts are only evil all the time. Everything is wicked about us. And God works with that creation, with humanity, through generations and generations and generations, patiently waiting until the right moment where he can then re-enter our history. And, And he does so by sending his son down from heaven to live a perfect life. And at the end of that perfect life, he then pays the debt for our sins on that cross and makes the way for us to live a new life in him. Three days later, after his death, he raises from the dead, claiming victory over death and sin and any obstruction between us and God. And now he sits at the right hand of God the Father, constantly praying and interceding for us, calling out to us, follow me. He's been patiently waiting for you each and every day, Follow me. Jesus es el camino. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me except, or no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the one who adventured down that path, that long distance from the moon and back, and really even further. He's the one that came because there was no way that we could get to him. No amount of work or trying your best would ever achieve what God has done. And so he came and made the way for us to live with him, to bring redemption to us. And so it's amazing to contemplate, to think about, to to just remember all the things God has been doing throughout human history and throughout your own life to bring you to a place to know him. What a gift. Jesus made the way for us to live a new way for him. Verses 11 and 12 says, Wisdom is like an inheritance, is a good thing, and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this, wisdom preserves those who have it. Ecclesiastes is highlighting the need to live our lives for that wisdom which God gives us to value wisdom like we would an inheritance to value wisdom as much as we would an inheritance. You know, if you got a phone call uh, today uh, after church and and you, they, you got a news, Hey, great uncle that you've never met died. They left you an inheritance. And you're like, what is it? Which one would you value more? Well, he was a millionaire. He left you a million dollars. You'd be like, yes, good day. Right. But what if you said instead, uh, he left you his journal of how he made his millions? Would you be equally happy about that? I think Ecclesiastes is kind of highlighting value wisdom in the same way that you would value that money. In the same way. In fact, probably more because wisdom, as I said earlier, will preserve you where money will go away. You know, I think when it comes to us, when we think of that inheritance, we're like, yeah, I don't have that uncle, though. Yes, but we have God's wisdom within our people 
And I got to tell you guys that I think some of us in this church have been hoarding some of that wisdom. God has done things in your life, does amazing things with your life, and you have only told a few people what he's done. For whatever reason, you've kind of held back your story. You haven't shared your testimony with people around you, and you're not sure how to do that or you have fear about that. But I want to tell you, God has walked with you guys in some amazing ways. And each person here who knows Jesus has an amazing testimony to share. And it is such a great and rich thing that God has done in all of our lives. Yet we need the ability, we, we need the freedom, really, to just share it with those people around us. And it blesses everyone around us. You know, some of you guys have walked through some hard addictions in your life. And God has set you free of those things. Some of you uh, were living one way, and God has just simply turned you another way. And he has brought you to a place where you would have never dreamed of this life that he has blessed you with. Some of you are just walking miracles. You shouldn't be here. But God... Some of you have marriages that honestly were on the route of divorce. It wasn't going to work, but God got in the middle of it and redeemed it, and you both got your focus on God. And now, because of Jesus, it still is going. Some of you have kids who have walked away from God, and, and you were praying and you were worried about it, You kept giving it to God, and now your child is back in church. There are miracles all throughout our community, and there's so many more that I couldn't name. I could just make a whole uh, list, and I still would miss some. But there are so many miracles, so many things of God working within his people in many different ways, through his word, through his people, through life change, through the Holy Spirit. God has been working in some rich ways, and those rich gifts that are within our community need to be starting to be shared with one another, to share the the inheritance of wisdom that God has within his church. You know, I think, again, of Revelation 12, 11 and 12 says this, uh, as they triumphed over him, and when they say him, they mean Satan, devil, They triumphed over Satan's schemes by the blood of the lamb, by the words of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. It's by the work of Jesus. It's by the sharing of testimonies with one another. And it's by living with the end in mind that we can make it through the hardships of life. When we talk about times, when we talk about times to listen to one another, when we take time to listen to one another more so, we start to hear the blessings that God has around us. And it really, it's amazing to share your testimony. It it helps you to remember the faith Your faith increases and it helps you to remember what God has done to get you to that point. But it also helps other people who are struggling at that moment to have faith that God will do the same for them. It blesses you. It blesses everyone else around us, everyone under the sun. And so my challenge for us today, we did this a big in August, but I kind of thought I would bring it back for just one week. 
And that is this. We did it with the No Longer Strangers initiative. But would you make plans this week with someone around you to exchange testimonies with one another? To share your story. How, how did you come to know Jesus? How did, how did you end up at Sunrise? Just to, those simple stories that we all have. But sometimes we don't always tell each other those things. We keep them private, even though we all have the same journey. So this week, would you go with someone who maybe you just say hi to on a Sunday morning? You just say, hey, how's it going? And that's as far as the relationship has gone. Would you be willing to take a step out and say, hey, let's make lunch pans. Hey, would you come after church next week and let's grab uh, lunch and, and talk? Or let's get coffee or whatever. Maybe even cross the boundaries of language and invite someone who doesn't just speak your language, but uh, maybe Spanish speakers and English speakers. We use Google Translate. It works. And share our stories with one another. And what a rich inheritance that we truly have here at Sunrise of God's work amongst his people. So let's pray and continue to worship our God. God, I thank you so much that when we messed up in Genesis 3, that you have been working with the end in mind. Since the very beginning of creation, you have always had the end in mind, that you would have your people with you, a relationship with you, and you've never given up on that. God, I pray that you would help us to live differently because of you, God, that we would live with your end in mind in our life, God, that we wouldn't just live to survive today, but that we would push forward for what you have for us in our life. God, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us our places where we mess up, where we want to go our own way, when we want to live for pleasure or for momentary gain. But God, help us to instead live for you, for eternity that you've set in our hearts, God. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your people. And I just pray for boldness as we can uh, make plans with one another to to hear each other's story and, and really to hear how you've worked in so many people's lives. Thank you that you are not just absent from uh, your church, God, but you are working each and every day, each moment to change and redeem our lives, to bring us uh, to be more like you. So help us to be bold in our sharing of your story, God, because really it's yours, and that we all might be blessed by that. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.